Father God, thank you so much for uh, this, for planning times and seasons for us. Um, and we know Jesus, you are always here. You've come and you rule in our hearts every day. But what a treat to celebrate the season where we remember at the beginning when you first came to earth. And thank you for um, setting down your crown in glory and putting on dirty human skin and entering the world of pain and sadness so that we could be freed from it. We thank you for your presence here this morning and may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.
reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
Will you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, truly uh, you are sovereign still, and we turn to you today um, and invite you to be with us now. Just open our hearts and our minds. Allow us to be able to see you moving in and through the words that we sing and that we study today, Lord. Just make your presence known here. Make your glory shine, Lord. We do ask a special blessing on Pastor Tom as he delivers your word to us today, Lord. And we also ask a special blessing on the teachers and children as they go to Hope for Kids and grow in their relationship with you. Uh, most importantly, Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your son. And it's in his holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Hope. I'm Pastor Tom. And it's it's going to be a little bit interactive this morning. I'm... I uh, reached into my Bible to throw away my notes from last week, and I threw away my notes from this week. You have an extra copy? So I think I got it. It's here. It's here. Yeah, this is the one. Yeah. Just doing a little dumpster diving to kick off our Sunday morning. All right, Ghosts of Christmas Past Part 2, is that where you are? Great. All right, we're yeah, don't, don't tell me that. Don't do that. That's bad elder. Bad elder. Okay. All right. Yep. That's what I wanted. And that's uh, not... You want to hear the same sermon you heard last week? I could do that too. Some of you probably could... That would benefit you. Carl. All right. Thank you for indulging me that. A little, you know... We're all human. Uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, we encourage you to fill out this form and your bulletin and let us know that you were here. We will follow up with you. And also, it's a great way to communicate prayer requests. So if there's anything going on in your life for which you would like prayer uh, while you're here today, uh, you can fill this out. And later in the service, during the time of offering, there'll be members of our prayer team available in the back corner of the room to pray with you or for you. Um, so avail yourself of that opportunity as well, if you don't mind. We like to pray for you. We take that seriously and encourage you to uh, let us know what you need. So, And I got a good report on Eric today, so that's good. Put a couple check marks on my prayer list for that one. So, um, All right. You can always log on to our member portal on our website to find each other. Uh, we have several things going on around here. Youth group. Tonight is our sock hop Christmas party. Bring a pair of crazy socks filled with candy. Lois, I won't, I won't undo them this week. But uh, this is one example, just a pair of socks stuffed with whatever you want to put in them. And uh, then tonight at 5.30, we will eat at... The baked potatoes will be ready at 5.30. It's a baked potato bar. I made the bacon. I'm just saying. There's some things you don't want to leave to chance. That's one of them. But uh, there it won't la the bacon will not be there after about 5.41. Two, two or three potatoes. So I uh, encourage you to come early, hang out, and then we'll have dinner at 5.30. We'll have the sock exchange, and then we have... Uh, some dance instructors who are going to uh, do a swing dance lesson, sort of a corporate swing dance lesson for everybody. And uh, you won't want to miss that. It'll be fun. So that's tonight. 
what else? Blueprint, urban Christmas ministry, gifts. Um, so many of you took uh, Christmas ornament tags to buy gifts for some of our Blueprint families. Are those being taken down today or they're taken down next week? Okay. Okay, so we're going to get, we're going to make sure everybody's, if you signed up to take one of those, uh, that we will follow up with you. We need, we wanted them back today so we could get everything accounted for. And then we have, we do need somebody to take, some volunteers to take gifts to the Blueprint families that we signed up to give gifts to next Sunday about 2 o'clock to meet down at Blueprint with those gifts. So if you're available for that, please let Lois know. Raise your hand, Lois. Or sign up on the blue clipboard in the family room at the entrance. All right. How many? We have three houses, so maybe three different groups, three families, something like that. Um, And it shouldn't be a lengthy. We're taking a a ham, a Christmas pie, and then the gifts that we're signed up for. uh, And it shouldn't be a lengthy stay, so... But if you're available to do that, we'd love to have you participate that way. Uh, Teddy bears are due. Um, Those are going to a children's hospital as well as to a refugee center, I believe, and uh, for children. So those, I think, are, we already have people to deliver those. Okay, a week from today, women's ornament exchange right here. Just bring a Christmas ornament that's wrapped so people can't see what it is. what is the rule? Like ten bucks or less? Ten and up. Ten and up. So you can't you can't cheapskate out. Here's my question: Is is the poop emoji Christmas ornament ten, more than ten bucks or less than ten bucks? The poop emoji? Because that's that's what I would bring. <laughs> yes, Carl. There's two. Yeah, there's some. There's some plastic tubs of ornaments back there. We played. Uh, we had a home run derby with them a few years ago, and with the youth group, that was fun. I think Joy Bell won that. Where is she? Yeah. 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 You won. Yep. Yep. It was Joy Bell Grant won the home run derby. Her daddy cried a little. All right, so next week, Women's Ornament Exchange, that'll be in the evening right here. Uh, Please come, sign up, bring a friend, and then uh, we still don't have more information yet, but we're having a a child care facility is hosting their Christmas pageant here for their little ones. Uh, It'll be in the family room on December 21st, which is a Friday night, and I'm just guessing we could probably use a few volunteers to help traffic people through and um, get things you know, so we make a good impression. Uh, Christmas Eve, 5.30 for the reception in the family room, and then the service will begin at 6 on Christmas Eve, and then you can get back to your families and wherever you're going that evening. Um, several Bible studies going on around here, Hope Fit. What would y'all do yesterday, Lindsay? The Jingle Bell, oh, uh-huh. The poop emoji is $7, so you'd have to combine it with another emoji ornament to make the cut. Although I think, you, I, think I would forgive the person who brought that emoji for only spending 7 bucks. What, no? Am I, trying to, am I cheapening the event? That's why I'm not invited. Okay. 
All right, fair enough. Hope Fit, the Jingle Bell Run. Did you wear the lighted Christmas light necklace for the run? You did not, okay. All right, fair enough. And how did everybody do, Lindsay? All right. It's a major award. Very nice. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So you're just you're just one funeral away from coming in first. Is that what you're saying? <clears throat> Fair enough. Hey, you know whatever it takes, man. Keep at it. Keep at it. What's that? What? Oh, yeah, he could beat me. What's the point? Was that mean? I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just trying to be funny. All right. Okay. I, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So Hope Fit, Monday nights, good fellowship, good fitness, and your Hope Fit Christmas parties coming up a week from tomorrow on Monday night. She tells me I have to, like, go exercise first, but then there's, like, goodies. And they're not all good for you. <laughs> right. Okay. Good. We're good. That's why you run, so you can do that kind of stuff. All right. Uh, and then men's and women's groups that alternate on Friday nights. Check that out more in your bulletin. Why don't we have all of the important people come down to the front at this time? If you are in fifth grade or younger, you're invited down for our children's chat at this time before you go to Hope for Kids. How's it going, Ethan? All right. What if you win two, two chicken legs <clears throat> Yeah, then you'd be in. You'd be above the minimum. I think that's the way to go. Two emoji ornaments would get you above that threshold. I'm just saying, just a suggestion, just don't mind me. I thought that would be hilarious. Wouldn't you want one on your Christmas tree? No? Not that? Okay. No? Okay. So, do you remember what we talked about last week? Any of it? There was a boy that had a really fancy coat was a coat of many, many colors. Do you remember anything about him? Um, you weren't here last week? Okay. So last week we read about a story in the Bible where a dad had 12 sons, and he gave one of them a really, really fancy coat, right? And the other ones just had regular clothes. Right? Like a green hoodie. What? Look at Tristan's coat. That's kind of fancy. Yeah? So, the dad gave one of his kids a really special gift that he did not give to all the other kids. How do you think the other kids felt? They were sad. And they were kind of mad, too. Right? Uh, do you think they liked the brother, the little brother that got the nice coat? No. And one of the brothers suggested they kill him. That seems a little harsh, don't you think? Yeah, not very nice. <clears throat> so they did put him in timeout. They threw him into a pit, right? 
And one of the brothers was going to get him out of the pit and take him back to his dad and say, hey, I don't think this is working out very well. He's not safe there. But while he was away, a brother named Judah took his brother out of the pit and sold him as a slave to some people who were going to Egypt, right? And that's, that's how the people of Israel wound up in Egypt. It's a longer story than that, right? But he, wounds up, he winds up being sold as a slave into Egypt. Is that a nice thing to do to your brother? No, it's not a nice thing to do to your brother or your sister or anybody else. Especially your brother with a really nice coat, right? That your dad obviously likes or he wouldn't have done that. So the guy who sold him, who suggested that they sell their brother, his name was Judah, right? He was one of 12 brothers. They were the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Was, do you think Judah was a nice guy? He sold his brother as a slave. Yeah. His brother's name was Joseph. Joseph was kind of a nice guy. What you got? Yes, there's a, there's a young man in our church with that name, right? It's a good name. It's a good, strong name. Um, and uh, I'm going to read you a Bible verse about that name, all right? Um, so Judah's dad, his name was Jacob, and Jacob said about Judah, he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. You know what a king or a queen holds when they're on the throne? It's called a scepter. It's a symbol of their authority, right? And Judah's dad, Jacob, says, Judah, the scepter will never depart from your hand, nor the ruler's staff from between your feet, um, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. So Judah never became a king, right? But one of his descendants, one of his great, 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 great grandsons, do you know who it was? It was Jesus. So Judah was a bad person, but he's one of the great, 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 great grandfathers of Jesus, right? So here's the message. This is what we're talking about today. He was a bad grandfather, he was a bad person, but God still forgave him and included him in his family. And Judah does change at, towards the end of his life. He does change, he does see the world differently and recognize that he's not, he recognizes I'm not a good person, right? That's called repentance. He turns from his sins and comes back to the heart of God but for most of his life, he was not a good guy, right? And so the message that God wants you to know is that it's your place in God's family is not based on how good you are, right? You're in his family. He loves you. You're in. Does he want you to change in your heart and grow and become a better person? Yes. Yes, he does. He wants you to grow, but he loves you forever, Right? And he includes you in his family, not because of what you do, but because of what Jesus did for you. Right? And so even though Judah was a bad grandfather, his great, 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 great grandson redeemed him and forgave him and brought and and brought him into God's family forever. Right? 
Does that make sense? You got any questions? What's your question? Judah. Yep. Yes. Great question. Great question. So if Jesus is the great, 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 great grandson of the bad person and Jesus is the holy king, how does that work? Right? Well, Jesus, Jesus was born. We, we learn in the Christmas story that the angels told Mary that she would, she would have a baby by a miracle, right? And so it was God who formed Jesus in her tummy. God put him there, and God made him without sin. So he's, not, he's, he's, he's like us in the fact that he's human. He's not like us in the fact that he's not sinful. We have sins. Jesus never did. He was created without sin. Does that make sense? Does it answer your question? All right. See, God, God already knew you were going to ask that question. He had it all figured out. Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for having everything all figured out and for sending your son to be born of the Virgin Mary uh, in, as a miracle that you would send a perfect person to come and offer himself in our place that we might, through his death, have life in, your, in you and hope through your son Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And we just thank you for that gift that very first Christmas of bringing Jesus into the world. Help us to go back to that and to know that your love for us is based upon what he did for us and not on whether or not we make mistakes. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to be the, the people, the kind of people who do what's right, who follow your word and who follow your heart. And so, Lord, we just pray your blessing upon these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You'll have a great time in Hope for Kids. All right, so this is the PG-13 warning for today's scripture passage. Um, there's some messy stuff in this story, and uh, if you don't want your kid to hear it, you're fully welcome to go hang out in the family room for a few minutes. Uh, this is crazy stuff. Um, and this is what happens when you talk about a Christmas series with a few people, and you say, you know what? If we're going to look at the ghosts of Christmas past, we need to look, up at a, look at a messed up family in the Bible. There's no family more messed up than this one. It, it kind of starts with Jacob, the father that gave the coat to Joseph and not to his other sons, and then he has passed down this messed up ethic to his kids, and they try to kill each other. They sell each other into slavery, uh, and now it gets weird, all right? So um, <clears throat> I'm not going to read, I'm not going to talk about anything that's not right here in the Bible, all right? Um, and we are going through the story 
of a messed up family. And so here we go. Uh, it, we're looking at the ghosts of Christmas past. And I want you, as we read this passage, to think about a couple of things. There's a woman that, you will read, that we will read about named Tamar. And I want you to think about the position that she is left in midway through this story. And I want to just sort of add to your understanding a little bit about her cultural reality. In her day and time, a, a woman's future was secured by having children. Those children would grow up, the mom would move into their house, and they would care for her in her old age. She would be part of the family. She would have a place to belong. She would have provision for her needs. This was an extremely important part of ancient tribal society. And so when you see what's done to Tamar, you will understand this is more than just uh, rejection. It's, it's abandonment on a level that would evoke within her great fear and insecurity as it relates to her future. And there's also another tribal custom you should probably be aware of because this, this is different. But Tamar marries one of Judah's sons and he passes away. So the responsibility in this tribal culture was that his younger brother would then provide her with children so that she and her first husband would have children that would be hers that would care for her in her old age. It sounds weird and sick and wrong, but it's the only way in, in these societies that people could figure out how to provide for the security of a woman who's widowed when she's young. And that method would be for her to have children and they would care for her as she ages. And so this is a this very close to the core of Tamar's identity as a woman in this tribal culture, and it's very close to the core of her long-term security as an individual within this tribal culture. And so we will, um, we will uh, get into the details here of uh, what was going on. Um, <laughs> ooh, yeah, this is good stuff. So one other little tidbit you might want to know about ahead of time is a lot of these cultures in, in, in Canaan at the time spent a lot of religious energy on fertility um, rites. And, and, and one of those, um, I mean, it, this just wouldn't quite fly today. Right, honey, I've got to go down to the temple and practice fertility with the priestess there so that our fields will be ripe and fertile and our yield will be high this year. I'll be right back, right? That doesn't make sense today, but um, in this ancient pagan culture, it somehow was normal. So you're, you're going to hear an allusion to an event that Judah participates in that would have seemed fairly normal at the time. And, and his, just, yeah, anyway, okay. <sighs> and Tamar, Tamar herself, just so you know, going in, she did not grow up 
in an Israelite family. She did not grow up in Abraham's lineage. She is a Canaanite. She is a, a pagan worshiper herself. And yes, Amber just saw it. She was reading ahead, and I just saw your eyes like... <laughs> You want to grab your mother and run? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Um, so, all right. Here it is. PG-13 warning has been issued. God's word, not mine. Genesis chapter 38, 1 through 26. Yes, I'm doing this. All right. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Shezib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And when Tamar was told your father-in-law is going up to Tinmah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage." When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult prostitute who was at Anaim at the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat. You did not find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. 
And Judah said, Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah, and he did not know her again. All right. (laughs) And we're done. That's all I got for today. Have a great day. Merry Christmas. I just wanted to get through it. (laughs) Did I forget to pray? (laughs) Father God, help us all. (laughs) And we just pray that you would speak to us through uh, your word. These crazy events are sometimes too close to those of our own, and we just pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word here today and forgive your terrible pastor uh, for not calling out to you sooner. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. Anybody else want to do this? Anybody? Anyone? No? You're good? So, Let's just stop and look at this from Tamar's perspective for a minute. And she probably had little or no say in her marriage, her first marriage. She was probably a point of negotiation between her father and Judah. Like, hey, your goats can graze on my grass, and you know my goats can graze on your grass if our kids get married, kind of thing. And then she goes through one terrible husband to the next terrible husband. And this is, this is not a surprise, right? I mean, dad's not a good guy. Son one's not a good guy. Son two's not a good guy. Um. And she's somehow good enough to son two to practice being married, but he doesn't want to take any responsibility for what might follow. And so she never is given the opportunity to secure her future, to sort of set her tribal identity as a mom. She's wronged on every level by every man in her life. And you've got to think that she is saying to herself, is it me? Is it me? Am I the one? Am I the black widow? Am I the one that no one can live with? Am I that unbearable? Do I deserve this? somehow and 
and I would, I would equate her situation, you know, this is not the same in terms of degree of, of severity, but if you've ever worked for a company that laid off 1,200 people, and you were one of those 1,200 people, and what that feels like, like I was all in, I was pouring my nine to five out, I was doing my job, I did nothing wrong, and now I'm not wanted anymore. Is it me? Is it something I wasn't doing that got me pulled into that list? And we know objectively, like, they can't do that. They're, they're, they've got to follow certain protocols when they do layoffs like that. It's not about your performance. It's about some other criteria that you're not in control of. But tell me it doesn't still hurt to be unwanted, unneeded, and here we are. And it could be any of life's events. It could be a layoff. It could be a divorce. It could be a broken relationship. It could be just about anything that leaves you in Tamar's seat feeling abandoned, rejected, and hopeless. Helpless is probably a better word. She's sent back home with no prospect of securing her future and her place in her tribal society. All of this is a very powerful lens through which we can see if we're asking the right questions, we can see our own sin. You know, Tamar is not without some culpability in here, like the, the plan she concocts is not a moral one. But if you can excuse her sort of Canaanite roots in all this, you got to admire the girl for going out and taking what was rightfully hers from the very people who had robbed her of it. I'm not condoning the way she did it. I'm just admiring her, what is that? Tenacity or chutzpah? Thank you, very good. Yiddish, perfect. Um, Okay, let's spend some time trying to understand the dynamics of sin and its consequences. And, you know, you see oy vey, go back to the Yiddish, Um, you see Tamar failed by the irresponsibility of every man in this succession. There are sins of commission, those are the sins we commit, and there are sins of omission, the the sins of the, the, the that are the things we should have done that were the right thing to do and we failed to step up and deliver, right? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm not going to... We won't talk about Onan's sin. Um, 
let's start here. All have sinned. There are no clean hands in this story. It is just a mess of sin. You know, one person's sin on top of another. And you, if you've hung around here very long and heard me up here very many times, I go back to this periodically. Sin begets sin. And it's, it doesn't matter if it's the kid with their hand in the cookie jar or something much more severe. If I did something wrong, I'll probably try to cover it up. I'll probably add another sin to it in the hopes that my shame is not uncovered. We have to check our blind spots as human beings. You see Judah completely blind to his own sin and completely blind to the sin of his own kids and no one around him would have been blind to those little brats. Like, they were so bad, God took them out? I mean, I wouldn't blame him if he plucked me early, right? But that's pretty bad. And that's the kind of bad that is going to be obvious to everyone. And Judah is blind to it. In fact, he's going to blame Tamar. Oh, she's obviously a black widow. We better send her home. I don't want my third son to go through the same thing. Never mind, your first son was an idiot, and your second one was worse. Um, he's blind. What are my blind spots? Do not answer that question, young lady. <laughs> that, we, don't have to, we do not have enough time. You are correct. You are correct. Um, I'll probably have some time this afternoon where some of those will be revealed to me. Um, but if we don't think we have a sin problem or we don't think our kids have sin problems, we're deceiving ourselves. This is part of the human experience. It's very real. It has some very ugly consequences. But here we see someone, particularly in Judah, who's completely unwilling to face reality. And there's blind spots, and then there's self-interest, selfishness, just pure, straight-up pride. Um, you know, maybe I should have titled this Pride and Prejudice or something. Um, Onan had done the math. He's like, Dad's got so many goats. And my older brother checked out. He doesn't get any. Unless I give his widow children. Then her kids get my brother's cut. That's I get a third of the goats versus half of the goats. Plus... If my older brother checked out early and I'm the next in line and there's nobody to claim his share, I get first place in the distribution of the estate. I get to keep the land if there is any. And so Onan's like, yeah, I'm good. No reason for me 
to do what I'm supposed to do. He acts in pure self-interest. You've heard me say before, this is a perfect example of the difference between a boy and a man. A boy wants to figure out what he can get from a woman. A man is inde- has endeavored to figure out what strength he can give to a woman, to his woman. The difference could not be any more clear right here of multiple men bailing on their responsibilities. All have sinned. And it's a mess. But not all suffer equally. This is one of the signs that you're dealing with sin, is that the consequences are not equally fairly shared. That's the nature of sin. And it makes sense, I guess. The author of sin doesn't want it to be fair. He wants there to be injustice, which makes people want to carry out worse injustice. One of the reasons this story is here is to mitigate against the sins that are natural in a patriarchy where the bias against women is perpetuated, this story is here to say to God's people, this is not us. We're not going to blame her. We're going to seek justice. We're not going to make the woman the scapegoat. Here, Here it is in God's word for all eternity. This is not okay. And Tamar lives in a brutal context. It's controlled not just by men, but by boys. And she has to live with the consequences of their irresponsibility. We are to be quick to empathize with those who suffer injustice. Not to be blind to our own sin or that of the people we favor. But this story is in God's word to help us look for the underdog who's been underserved and misappropriated. Her abandonment, betrayal, the death of her dreams, the questioning of herself, we are to enter that and see this story through her lens. And we are to be slow to condemn. Here's the signal that you or I have unconfessed sin in our lives that we're blind to and we're refusing to deal with. We want someone else to pay dearly for their sin. When you see Judah at the awareness that his daughter-in-law is pregnant, his first reaction, great, I'm out. That absolves me of what I was supposed to do. Uh, She's gone, I'm good, 
burner. Dude, really? Burner? That's crazy. Uh, I was, sometimes when I'm reading a passage like this, I'll cheat a little and I'll go back and I'll read a guy named John Calvin and his thoughts on the passage. And Calvin was like, at that point, they should have burned both of them. Like Judas should have gotten the the punishment that he was so ready to dispense. Um, Yeah. When it all comes to light and Judah realizes his sin was actually worse than hers, he has a little bit different perspective on what the punishment should be. We should be slow to condemn others in the awareness that all have sinned. To understand sin and its consequences is not enough. God wants us to look past that to seek his grace and redemption. I do not like or condone the manner by which Tamar secured her redemption. But I love the fact that she overcame. That a deck that was clearly stacked against her got turned against those who thought they'd written the rules for their own benefit. Clever. Again, not morally right, but clever. The grace that we need to see in this passage is really only hinted at after Judah is exposed. And he goes, yeah, she's she's a better person than I am. Not saying much, Judah. That's not saying much. (laughs) But it's the beginning of a recognition. Grace begins with humility. And Judah is maybe humiliated, right? But that brings about a certain degree of humility on his part. We are to watch the warning signs of pride in our own hearts, and that is clearly judgment. And you could add blame to that. He wants to blame Tamar for the deaths of his sons. Um, And then he wants to judge her for her sin and not be judged for his own. And these warning signs are clear in life. They're in front of us. This is uh, the quote from John Calvin on the subject. We hence infer, you got it's, it's translated from French like 400 years ago, so bear with the English. But we hence infer that they who are rigid in, in, excuse me, in censuring others are much more pliant in forgiving themselves. I, I had a mentor in ministry. Some of you have met him. His name is Buck Oliphant, and Buck loves to say, We judge others on their actions, and we excuse ourselves on our intentions. 
same actions, but hey, I would, you know, I mean, I was trying or whatever. And that's what you have here. What we all need is a godly dose of humility that says, I'm not any better than anybody else. And I want to be in right relationship with God. And so we confess our sin before someone else does. I will just tell you, this is a rare trait. People do not, this is human nature once again, people do not just come forward and confess their sins. They almost inevitably have to be trapped, caught, or exposed. But God wants us to be the people who see our sin early, who don't let it get to this point, and who change the way we interact with others accordingly. Because as we begin the journey into grace with humility, that journey always leads to the cross. That is the place to which we must look for our redemption, our forgiveness, and our hope eternal. It is insane, really, if you think about it. You know, people like to think that the, the Jesus thing is a myth. Some people, not you, but some people like to think it's a myth. Um, if I was making up a story about a Messiah who would be the sinless Savior of the world, I don't think I would have this incestuous past so obvious in his lineage. At first, you would think this would not make the birth of Jesus look good. His lineage is really messed up. Um, there are several problems with it that you may, may not immediately be aware of, but one of which is that Tamar is a Canaanite. They weren't supposed to interact with that culture in that way. And so in the lineage of the Jewish Messiah is a pagan Canaanite who intentionally commits incest to secure her future. And Jesus says, I forgive you. I get it. Life is crazy. And there will be times you just want to take things into your own hands and solve all your problems. That'll probably make it worse, but hey, we're human. And God says, I, I've got this. My son will reckon with your sin. He will forgive. He will redeem. He will restore. He will bring you to the place that you are to be. The verse I'm referencing is in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 for you. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, father of Isaac, Isaac, father of Jacob, Jacob, father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. Those were Tamar's twins that she bore after this story. And Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, blah, 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 goes on down to Joseph, the father of Jesus. Um, this is our lineage. This is the truth from which we 
come, and it's really this book of Genesis. It's not Judah's story. It's not Jacob's story. It's not Abraham's story. It's not Joseph's story. It's God's story. It's the story of how redemption overcomes sin, how love prevails and forgiveness is found. We are the fellowship of the redeemed. Yes, this life is a mess at times, but where God is taking us is to a place of restoration and hope and grace and redemption and forgiveness and love. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at how raw and revealing it is. Help us in these passages to see ourselves, our own sin, and to come to you in humility rather than in judgment of our brothers and sisters. Help us, Lord, to own our part of your story that what we contribute to our redemption in Christ is our sin but help us to look past that to what he contributes to the grace the forgiveness the love eternal that are ours through Jesus Christ focus our hearts there and let us be a people who shine that light of your love onto the hearts and souls around us every day. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Here at Hope Church, we don't pass an offering plate, um, but uh, um, uh, we really consider this time to be a time where we think about how do we offer ourselves uh, based on on uh, on what we've heard. Um, so, um, and that that's that's all encompassing. That is that is more than just what you give uh, 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 in terms of a gift, but terms of your time and your talents and what you what you offer to God in light of what he's g- given to us. Uh, also during this time, and we have a couple of individuals who are available to pray uh, with you if you would like that. Uh, so if you'd like to pray with someone, uh, there are two ladies right there in the back, back corner who are available. So please take advantage of, of that opportunity. So, um, so some of the thoughts that I had about this uh, message this is a very tough message to preach on, and I, I, <laughs> I was, I was squeamish with you, Tom. Um, <coughs> but uh, you know, I, 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 I remember the first time I read that, and I just thought, wow, that is a crazy story, and why is that in here? And you know, I think <coughs> what I've come to you, and I think just, just understanding what you've shared is to recognize first of all first of all to recognize the sin that is in all of us um all have sinned <coughs> but i think more are equally important is that the recognition that god uses people who are completely broken and messed up he uses sinners like us um and so i think one of the big points um is that we should really think about nothing in our past should keep us from coming to God because he has come to us where we are in our brokenness, in our sinfulness. He has reached out, and that's the whole reason for for Christmas and why God sent his son to die for us as sinners. So please don't let yourself think that God cannot use you because of something that you did in the past. Um, he can absolutely use you, and he wants to use you. He loves you. Um, I want to read something um, from First Corinthians, and you know, uh, and, and there's so many instances of 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 what I'm going to read and what God's story is all about. You know, and the obvious one is Jesus came to Earth in a manger, and you know, just such a humble place to begin life. But First First Corinthians. Chapter 1 says these words, God chose what is foolish in the world, to include us, uh, to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world 
even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So be thankful that God loved you. He counts us as sinners worthy to be loved by him. And uh, that is something that we can all reflect on. And as we do that, we are in a great position to give to others. Um, and uh, that, is, that is what I would consider to be my offering, and I hope that you can share in that. So as the music plays, please just think about all that God has done for you. Know that he has covered whatever has happened in the past, whatever you have done um, or, or experienced. God has it. Um, and count yourself worthy to serve our Lord because he loves you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the story that uh, we read about today and how it reminds us of the brokenness that is in this world, but that you love us and uh, that you invite us to come to you, to be loved by you, and to serve you. So help us to do that as we approach uh, Christmas this season. We thank you for the gift of your son, and it's in his name we pray. So this should be our mantra going out this week. We thought we'd close with you are in control. And whether we are being Tamar or Judah in a phase of sin or struggling with sin or the darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, God's in control. He knows us well and he's got it. Let's stand and um, sing this and make it our mantra as we head out.
doesn't become clear until the Gospel of Matthew. And Tamar is one of, I think, four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, But the whole thought that all of the, the sinful motivations that were woven into that crazy account continue the line that will be the household into which the Messiah comes. And he will then redeem them all by his blood. This God that you serve has a long-term view. And he's taking us to the place where we will enjoy his, his grace, his presence, his love and forgiveness for eternity. As you go forth from here today, take with you the blessing of that God that he might shower these words over you and redefine who you are and how you live. Open your hearts and receive the blessing of our Lord today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. May you go in his peace.